Hello and welcome to the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. We're bringing together some of the best technical leaders in the industry to talk about their passions and challenges that they are facing. I'm Austin Roden from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help connect businesses with some of the best contract talent out there. So today I'm your host. And today I am joined by John Hartley over at Curology, where he's the director of engineering. And we talk about his intro into tech and some of the challenges that he faced, some tips and tricks that he's run into across the industry. Really exciting conversation. Hope you all enjoy. All right, there we go. All right, John, uh, thanks for jumping on the exchange. Uh, and chatting with me. Uh, can you give us just a, a quick intro of yourself? Yeah, so I'm John Hartley, or Hartley as people know me at work. Uh, I am a director of engineering and IT at Curology. Uh, Curology is a prescription skincare company, um, fully distributed at the moment from an engineering perspective. Uh, been in this role for about a year and a half now. Very cool. So um, I guess just take us like way, way back. Uh, where, where'd you go? Where'd you go to school? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Ohio, so I'm back in Columbus, Ohio now. Um, but I went to Ohio Northern University for my undergrad. And when I got there, I was like, I'm really good at math. I uh, enjoy education. I'm going to be a math teacher. Um, spent about a quarter in that and decided I would end up throwing a kid out the window. And so kind of veered <laughs> off into actuarial sciences. Okay, still got that statistics background and still really uh, kind of math heavy then I decided I didn't want to spend my life in a cubicle and not really collaborating with folks. Uh, so I did a complete U-turn and ended up in broadcasting. So radio, TV, communications, uh, and got my initial degree in that. So while doing that, I spent a lot of time on the radio, kind of working with other people, interviewing people uh, from the sports world around the university, uh, and just really honing that aspect of it. And from a journalism yeah. perspective as well, um, but yeah, it, it was a, a very non-tech uh, way to yeah. get into a, a field for sure. Who's not to get too off topic, but who's the probably the biggest, most notable person that you got to interview? Oh, uh, so Ohio Northern was Division Three, so definitely yeah. nobody big. Um, Dean Paul was the head coach at Ohio Northern. Okay. Trying to remember who was in charge at Mountain Union at that time. Might have been. Uh, I can't even remember his name, but Mount Union's head coach is probably the most notable. Okay. Um, Mount Union well, powerhouse in D3. I, I briefly attended Blinn College down in Brenham, Texas. And I think that only one or two guys really made it out. One was Cam Newton, but he ended up going to Auburn after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I was there a little bit before he was there. I think he was there in 09 or something. I was there like in 05, but... All right, cool. So Jason Trusnick, sorry. Jason Trusnick okay. is probably the biggest name. He was a special teamer. Uh, very briefly on the Cleveland Browns and also on the Dolphins. So he's he's probably okay. the only one that anybody may even have a semblance of. It's something. It's something. Yeah, I went to a Texas high school. So there's a handful of guys that I went to high school with that ended up making it pretty big in college. And um, was it Chris Boswell, the kicker for the Steelers? He, yeah. he graduated from my high school. Again, like way after I was there. But yeah, <laughs> I get it. All right. Well, cool. So uh, you, you graduate. Um, where did you start kind of getting into tech? Yeah, so it was probably my senior year when I looked around, realized I didn't want to be in radio because it didn't pay well, and I didn't want to be in news radio because I just felt bad when I was doing the internship uh, I saw him before, realized it was super depressing to be in news. I was like, well, that's really the only place I can go in broadcasting, so I'm going to start with technical. I started with HTML, taught that mm -hmm. to myself, 
took a course uh, in college around Dreamweaver. And so it was building yep. websites with tables. The alpha was horrendous, but it was a way to kind of understand HTML and CSS and get my foot in the door. Uh, so I went to Elon University afterward to do an interactive media program. That's really where I got the core of my programming experience uh, with ActionScript, you know, Flash animation, uh, Flash websites. Uh, as I was getting done, I wanted to do kiosks, like museum kiosks and program those. I was super excited, but also saw the writing on the wall of Flash is dying. Like it is dying yeah. off action script while helpful from a programming perspective is not going to be used anymore. So I really focused on that front end side, built my own po portfolio. CSS3 was becoming big at the time, responsive websites. Not a whole lot of people had that experience yet. And so I really kind of dove in and understood, okay, this is kind of my ticket into the front-end software development world. Okay, I got you. Yeah, what, about what year was that when Flash was kind of like really big? Because I remember that was probably like 2004, 2006, kind of in between there, or a little bit later. So, yeah, 2010 is really where yeah. like, it was more official of, okay, this is a, a dying art, uh, and yeah, okay. it's not going to be well-supported. So CSS3 becoming the, the big new thing at that time with the... Uh, you know, breaks on your screen and responsible web design, min width and all that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's around when I started seeing that transition. And thankfully, I, I made that transition into front-end development only. All right, very cool. So you're doing some front-end stuff. Um, at what point did you start getting into like the managerial leadership type roles? Yeah, uh, so a lot of the project management aspect I learned on my own okay. from just being a freelancer to start. There wasn't anyone that was looking for a full-time front-end engineer. And so I had a lot of just small gigs with either remote companies uh, or little agencies around Columbus. And then finally got to kind of sink my teeth into a WordPress shop that was in Columbus uh, and worked with them to build out some plugins, build out some bigger features. Those were all free. So I got my um, customer support background there too, like supporting yeah. those on the, the WordPress plugin repository. But getting into an agency in town uh, called Dynamit, that was kind of the first big time where I realized, okay, I like working with people. I like working at that time in an office and kind of having that collaboration in that environment. Uh, it really just kind of got into groove of being a senior engineer and then into a lead. And um, yeah, just kind of enjoyed getting everyone together and moving forward as a group. Yeah, very cool. Um, and then was that something that you just kind of gravitated to on your own? You just kind of one day it's like, okay, I, I've been talking to a, quite a few people like this over the past couple of weeks. And that's really the biggest trend. It's like, you know, I just, I didn't, cause did you say one day I want to be a tech leader or it just kind of evolved that way? It just kind of evolved that way. Um, and my, my parents always make fun of me cause they're like, you, you always did this. You were always the person that got people together for like a weekend football game, like pick up baseball, pick up basketball, any of those things. And in college kind of did the same thing. It's like, Hey, let's all go out on the quad, like throw the Frisbee around. Let's go play disc golf. Um, so I've always gotten people together in teams and always wanted to make sure people feel supported and have what they need, um, to, to feel a part of a group. So that when our lead at the time at dynamic, the front end lead left that opened up a spot for me to really step into leadership. And so that's what I did. I kind of hopped in was like, okay, let's, let's try this real managerial thing out and see how it goes. Yep. And, uh, that was seven years ago at this point. I'd, I haven't really looked back since. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. And I mean, it sounds like 
it's another common trend too. It's like you have to take the opportunity. Like a lot of people aren't ready whenever they get into it. But um, I do. I want to kind of take a step back a little bit. Uh, how how long were you freelancing for? Yeah, so I freelanced for probably three years. Um, so I had a few small clients, as I mentioned, and then that WordPress gig that I had was probably the biggest one. Uh, and it was just kind of working with, it was almost a startup in and of itself. It was myself and two other guys mm-hmm. that were just building these WordPress plugins, um, getting into themes and trying to sell those. And was kind of the first experience I had with a startup type environment. Very cool. Would, would you recommend that to anybody? Or I guess like what type of person would you recommend the freelancer route for? Yeah, I, I think if you are self-disciplined uh, to a degree and can kind of get yourself to do work and not procrastinate too much, Although I have my fair share of late nights because I procrastinated. Yeah. Um, but if you want to learn a lot in a short period of time, like freelancing is a really easy way to say, this is the sort of thing I'm interested in. Can I find work for that? And then from there, if you don't like it, you don't like it. You can always tell a client like, hey, I appreciate the relationship. I need to move on. They'll find somebody else. Um, so I think if you're not sure what you want to do, but you know you want to dive deeper into something, there's plenty of sites now like Fiverr and Upwork that are helpful to get that kicked off. Those didn't exist when I was getting into this initially. So it's even easier, like the bar is much lower to hop in and say, okay, let's try this out, get my first client and go from there. All right, very cool. And then what would you say to anybody? I keep asking the question. I understand for some people it's a little bit different, but if you're faced with the opportunity to go the leadership route or stay an individual contributor, like what are the big things that you would want to keep in mind that would kind of push you one way or another? I think you really have to look at what brings you joy. Like I think of Marie Kondo, right? And she's always like, oh, does this spark joy? You got to look at your calendar and determine what sparks joy there and figure out, okay, the time that I'm focused and the time that I'm writing code, that brings joy. The time that I'm with my teammates or having to be in a, a group meeting, department meeting, I hate that. I don't want to be in there. Management may not yeah. be for you at that point. Um, if you like seeing others succeed more than yourself, management may be a good choice. And so those are the sorts of things that I'll ask folks and be like, hey, what what brings you the most joy in your day to day? And then let's lean heavier into those things that you do enjoy and get away from those things that you don't. Uh, for me, it was super easy. I knew that I was not the best programmer. I can get things done. I can get out the doors. That's what you have to do in, in agency life. Um, but I knew that like code maintenance and you know architectural design, those are things that I could do. They just didn't spark any joy at all. It wasn't something that I liked doing day to day. So it's more about strategic planning, getting further ahead and setting people up for success overall. I gotcha. And then whenever you first got into that role, it's like you go from being an IC to that day one of like, okay, I am the boss. Um, if, if, what would you say to somebody who's about to walk into that specific situation? It's like, it's, you could be prepared, maybe not, you know, it's like, Hey, you really don't know what to expect. What, what kind of mindset would you want somebody to go into that with? I'd probably want someone to know what their management style is or what they want it to be. It's constantly evolving. And so it's not something where day one, you're going to know exactly what it is, but you should have some idea of here is how I want to manage. Here is how I will set expectations. The key there is you want to be consistent as you start managing. That way your team knows what to expect from you. It's like, oh no, Hartley is mad today. Like, what's he going to do? Or like, okay, Hartley is in a good mood. And if if it fluctuates too much and if it's too much of a roller coaster, people aren't going to know how to respond. They're going to be a little worried day to day. So being consistent with that style 
read books, read management, uh, books of some sort, newsletters, they're all over the place, but really figure out what is key to you as a manager and what are the things that are your non-starters. So what are the things that you absolutely need your team to do day to day to feel like they're going the right direction? Yeah. Did you have any books in particular that really helped you out or? Uh, High Output Management was probably the first one that I read by Andy Grove. Uh, Since then, Principles by Ray Dalio is a, a big one that I keep as almost a reference book. It's not one that you read cover to cover. It's more you open it up and you read a thing for the day. And it's like, yeah. all right, cool. Uh, Radical Candor is another big one. Okay. Um, it really helps you with how to give clear and direct feedback and kind of get over that hump of, okay, I was peers with this person. Now I have to manage this person. It's going to be awkward. And I don't really yeah. know how to give them feedback. Previously it was, I don't know, Charles is doing a good job. Like, I, I feel like he's okay. Now it's, you know Charles isn't doing a good job. He's not doing the yeah. things you need him to do, and that's it's going to be a rough conversation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, those were a couple of the books that really helped initially for me. Okay, awesome. And then what would you say, like, did you kind of gravitate toward a leadership? Like, did you know what your leadership style was going into it? Um, No. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why I say if I could give that advice to someone, that that's why I would, because you haven't thought about it until you start managing. And then it, it's fluctuating so much initially that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw things up. You're going to do that anyway. By yeah. no means is anyone perfect. And I'm not even perfect at this management thing. And I've been doing it for seven years. Uh, but I think it's it's helpful to uh, look at even in media. Like I know Ted Lasso is huge right now. I've written articles about that show and kind of leadership style within that. But watch movies, watch bosses in movies, understand, do you like that style? Do you not like that style? If you don't, why not? If you do, why do you? And that can help kind of measure you in terms of, okay, that is something that I feel is my style or is not my style. Um, so it's a, it's a bit bizarre. It's like trying to find yeah. your clothing style too. I see you're wearing yeah. a fun shirt. I wear a fun shirt every Friday. That is just something I do now. Like that is something consistent that my team knows they can see. It's like when we're remote and having meetings together. So it'll evolve, but work on that and write it down and yeah. then see how it evolves over time. Yeah. Has there been anything specifically that really helped you out as far as like, you know, a leadership principle or anything like that outside of what you've already mentioned? Um, I think for me, it's really, have I set my team up for success? And that as a daily question helps me understand that I am going the right direction. The things that I'm focused on are helping that directive uh, or... Yeah. You know, the things that I'm doing are not in service of that. So even thinking about meetings, right? At the beginning of the yeah. week, is this, is my calendar of meetings going to be helpful for that one thing of setting my team up for success? If not, can I get rid of some of that? What else should I be doing instead? So that, that's probably a core principle for me. Um, I also super value transparency. Like I, I am about as transparent as I, as transparent as I can be day to day. I love giving business context because it's so much easier to feel like you're pushing things forward if you have that business context and that you're attached to that work. Um, engagement and attachment to those overall business goals, so much more important than they used to be. I don't like having ticket takers because I would rather you be invested and involved and engaged and letting me know like, hey, I don't think that's the right thing for us to focus on. Like our customers enjoy X and you're asking us to do Y, we should do X instead. Those are some of my favorite conversations because it shows that 
individuals are invested, they're engaged, and they're really understanding why uh, behind what they're doing. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, just the things that you've mentioned, you know, being transparent, being consistent, and, you know, prioritizing the work. I mean, that's, it's pretty common with a lot of what I hear. So it's, it's good to kind of hear some commonalities there. So that's, that's really great. Um, and then can you tell us a little bit about like the work that you've been doing now? Yeah. So at Curology, uh, I oversee the medical and pharmacy operations team. And so we are responsible for pretty much all the software for our internal teams. We have providers, we have fulfillment techs, we have uh, supply chain, inventory, uh, the NetSuite side of the house, our customer success team even. And so we build the software for all of that to make sure that we're supporting them in doing their jobs. And I've found that that is uh, kind of my niche is internal customers because you can see that direct effect. Uh, you can generally talk to those people directly as well versus when I was working in an agency, you know, we built Panda Express's online ordering site. It's hard to talk to customers that are going through that flow and be like, hey, yeah. did you like that button or uh, do you not like that button so much? Now, A-B testing gets you there overall, but... I really prefer being able to shoot somebody a note or be like, hey, can you hop on a call? I want to understand a bit more about this process or you know, how you're working through the software that we have today. Um, so yeah, that's a big focus for me right now at Curology and just kind of moving that strategy forward, doing the road mapping for the rest of the year, uh, making sure we're, we're looking ahead. Yeah, awesome. And then, you know, I've been asking the question toward the end of a lot of these episodes. It's like, hey, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in the industry at large, you know, in tech and, and development and everything? But what are some of the positive trends that you've seen? Is there anything that's like kind of like getting you really hyped up, you know, for things that are going to be possible in the future? Yeah. Um, so I, I think a couple things. One, from a people perspective, I'm glad that companies are embracing remote. Like, I'm glad that a majority of roles anymore are distributed or remote in some form or fashion. Um, I think when you can remove the stresses of commuting, when you can remove some of those external stresses that someone has just getting into the office, you can allow folks to focus more on their work and the things that they want to be focused on. And that's just a great jumpstart for a career. Like, okay, I don't need to worry about these things anymore. I just need to show up for work, do my job, and then be flexible throughout the day. Um, and can be flexible. So that that's yeah. a big one from just people perspective. Um, from a broader industry perspective, I think we're starting to see the old guard die away from a, a micromanagement perspective, right? I had mentioned, you know, watch media and think about um, whether you do or don't like a style. I think of Bill Lumberg in office space, like the Bill Lumbergers yeah. are dying out. That guy does not exist much anymore, which is great. Um, I think people are focusing much more on EQ, like the emotional quotient, figuring out, okay, how do I engage with my individuals? It's much less command and control and is much more, how do we work together on this? And that partnership yeah. from a manager to IC relationship, that to me is the, the shift there is going to be so much more beneficial than the way it used to be. Um, so I, I think those are two big ones. I think from a tech perspective, AI is interesting yeah. because... It's being discussed so much that I think we're going to hit a peak and then it's going to die off again. Like I think yeah. it will be used in the underpinnings for a long time. And I think there are going to be some really good uses for it. But I think so many companies are investing and kind of looking into it that I wonder, and in some cases worry, like will that die out pretty quickly? Like is it worth investing in? Because it may not be as beneficial as we once thought it was. Well, this will yeah. solve all of our problems. 
will it? I don't know. It might not. Yeah. I've, I've heard that quite a bit and it does, it comes up and it's always been, I've had a couple people explain it to me uh, pretty plainly that, right, that the last guy was talking about how prompt management is going to be like probably one of the bigger things in the future because mm-hmm. like I can't walk to anybody in the street, hand them a computer with chat GPT and say, hey, you know, design me, you know, uh, something in, you know, a spring, Java spring framework or whatever. Like you can't do that. So you have to know what to put into it. So that kind of gives me some hope. And like, even in my job, like there's some things that I do, you know, on the day to day that makes it simpler, but you know, one, it's not perfect. And two, I can't, I have to be very specific with what I want. So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I I know a lot of people are pumped with what it can do for games. Uh, I've seen, you know, we have another uh, game podcast for evolution. um, And then I've seen some stuff on that where they're talking about building like whole worlds inside and it can just be auto-generated by AI. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, but uh, they, I you look at Redfall recently released by Xbox, right? And they, yeah. that AI is so bad. <laughs> like the <laughs> the enemy AI is so bad. But I I think it's it's really, can you figure out how to leverage it appropriately? Yeah. Right? So, you know, if, if we're thinking in curology terms, we have a whole suite of providers that are interacting with patients and making sure that they're describing the right uh, formulations. If we're using AI for that, it should benefit the providers and should benefit as long as we're at that intersection, I think sky's the limit. It's when yeah. we or other companies are relying on it too heavily of like, eh, it'll just replace things. I, the replacement aspect yeah. is is where it starts to get dangerous. In my mind. Yeah, that's that's the plot for the movie Stealth and, and a bunch of other movies too. But, you know, that movie at the time, I think that movie was way ahead of its time, uh, not to prop it up too much, but they have like a lot of these autonomous quadcopters now that have machine guns and rockets and everything on it. And a lot of it, you know, it's going to be queued up by AI. Like the, a lot of that is just, yeah. I mean, maybe it works great and it protects us all and it makes the world a better place. Or, you know, I I always kind of like ingest ask like, Hey, you think AI is going to destroy all the humans? Like, what's your thought? And it's like, it's not bad. It's not, it's just like any new thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not scared of it doing that. I, I'm more scared of people trying to use it in a way that it doesn't need to be used in. Uh, Yeah. And customers and patients just not benefiting from it overall. That's it's gonna that's be the first thing they use it for though. The yeah. first thing they go to, how do I do this a lot easier? I mean, nobody wants to type. It's gonna end up bringing handwriting back. And I, I brought it up in three episodes now, <laughs> but the more I talk about it, the the more need for actual face to face interaction is gonna become a little bit more valuable. And then like if you're writing a report or, you know, verifying things, it, that's normally move to primarily digital i mean you can't trust that a computer did it so like if i'm like if i'm thinking if i'm a high school teacher and i ask kids to write an essay you know it's like i can't prove that you know hey i didn't do it unless you have it handwritten and then they bring it in or they do it right in front of you and you know here there for a while they were pushing that more remote and you can do it at your leisure on your computer and everything and now it's i think going to kind of bring that not necessarily all the way back around but i think that's going to be more of a thing again that verified human input will probably have a, a, a value to it at some point. But anyways, um, well, very cool. And I, I do, I appreciate you jumping on and um, for sharing your experience. Are there any, I guess in closing, if there was like one tip you could give uh, to that leader that's, you know, working a team uh, right now, uh, what's something that you would want them, you know, to keep in mind? I know you already mentioned like that guy that was just taking on a team, but if you're that guy, like right at your level, like if you could... Give yourself a piece of advice from like a year ago. Mm. Piece of advice from a year ago. Yeah. You could just start fresh. Uh, 
I, I think that it's okay to say no to things. Yeah. Um, I, especially getting into new positions, I like to say yes to everything because I want to seem like a team player. I want to seem like I'm easy to work with. Um, saying no is one of the hardest things that I've ever learned to do and I'm still not good at it. So I I think that would be the main advice to myself a year ago is like, give yourself some grace, say, yeah, no a little more often, but give the context why that is a no. And so I, I think that's a, a big one for me. And one of the things that every day I have to remind myself of, it's, you can't say yes to everything. You can say no to some yeah. things, but give that context, give an understanding as to why. Okay. Awesome. No, thank you so much. Um, would love to have you on again in the future. All right. And as we wrap that one up, I want to say thanks again so much to John for sharing his thoughts in today's conversation. Again, our guest today was John Hartley from Curology. And I'm also going to put it out there one more time. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message. Or if you're hiring for some technical roles or looking for a new role yourself, get in touch with us. I'm Austin Roden. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, You can also shoot me an email directly. My email address is austin.roden at evolutionjobs.us. I want to say thank you to our guests. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. Hope we catch you again next time.